0: Good morning. How are you doing today? Very good. Listen, it's great to be with you this morning as we come together and worship, whether you're here with us uh, in person or whether you're joining us online, we want to welcome you uh, to our services this morning. Uh, I am just taking a moment just to give God some praise this morning that He did bring us back together physically before it was my turn to preach. I just uh, give Him all praise this morning. I was not looking forward to preaching to a camera. I don't know if I could do that, but uh, He allowed me to have your beautiful faces to engage with uh, today. So I thank you for that. To get started, just uh, want to uh, give those that are watching online a very special welcome, a uh, special shout-out to my daughter and her husband, Chad, who are watching in Guam uh, all the way across the other side of the world, so glad that they're able to engage with us as well, so thank you. This morning, we want to continue in our series, uh, The Parables of Jesus, and just would pray that God would use His Word this morning to bring about conviction and the transformation that this Earthly story with a heavenly meaning is meant to bring about. So if you would, as we get started, join me in just a word of prayer. Fathers, we come before you this day. We thank you for the opportunity that we have to come together. Father, we thank you for the work of Jesus Christ in our lives. And as we come before you today and we look into your word, we pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit, that you would give us ears to hear eyes to see, and hearts to respond to the things that you teach us. So, Father, would you bring about transformation in our hearts today? For it's in Christ's name we pray, amen. You know, our pastor came just a moment ago. He talked about the times that we find ourselves living in today, and it's true that we are living in a time when tensions are high, uh, seems that tempers are flaring, and really, if you look around, it's just hard to see much love in the world in which we are living. Started off possibly with the coronavirus, but now we're seeing it unfold before us with all the civil unrest. And over the past few months with everyone being told to shelter in place, being confined to their homes, we have seen some alarming things beginning to take place. One of the things that we have seen is that Lawyers are reporting that calls are coming into their offices like never before with questions about divorce, and now that the courts and and the cities are beginning to reopen, we're finding that divorce courts are being filled, and, and these proceedings are taking place. People are stressed out. They are breaking under the strain of possibly being out of work. They are breaking under the strain of maybe having to work at home and being surrounded by their loved ones all day long, or... Maybe it's the financial struggles that are fueling the strife of many homes. As one of the things that we see, that spouses are giving witness and testimony of constant bickering and fighting within their home. And this is common to both believer and non-believer alike. We truly need a work of God to bring about health and healing in our relationships. Well, God has given us the remedy for restored relationships, yet... All too often, it's a tough pill for us to swallow. And that remedy for restored relationships, of course, is forgiveness. Forgiveness. And this morning, I want us to look at what Jesus had to say about forgiveness and pray that we would take his word into our hearts and into our lives. And in so doing, that we would leave this place and walk in a manner that is pleasing to him. Forgiveness. It's to cease to feel resentment against an, our offender. It's to pardon or to cancel a debt that is owed to us. It, it means that as the forgiving person, as the innocent one, that we release our wrath over the sin of the guilty one and we allow them to go free. C.S. Lewis says that everyone says forgiveness is a lovely idea until something needs forgiven. That's really true. You know, forgiveness is something that we all struggle with. I mean, someone hurts us, the pain is so deep that we can't imagine being able to forgive them. I mean, after what they have done to me, how could anyone expect me to offer them forgiveness? And the issues can be many. A mom suddenly leaves and abandons her family and leaves them in disarray. A spouse commits adultery and thus the home is destroyed. It could be the betrayal of friends, that stabbing in the back, or possibly a child who is being abused or a young adult who has been assaulted. It could be a coworker who's taking credit for your hard work, hurtful words and actions of family members and friends. The list could go on and on and on because there is a lot of hurt in the world in which we live. Listen, I have witnessed it throughout my life as I have seen people hold on to grudges and unforgiveness over some of the most petty things. And I have seen this unforgiveness lead to years of broken relationships where family members and friends won't even speak to each other when they're in the same room. Listen, we struggle because we so often are confused believing that forgiveness is for the benefit of the offender. Therefore, I'm not going to extend forgiveness to them because they owe me, right? They owe me. And we even begin to share that with people around us. Can you believe what they did to me? And they buy into the herd in our own pain. And they even offer us the the, the words, yeah, I can't believe what they've done. I don't see how. You could ever forgive them. See, we garner people's attention in that way. And until a person comes and grovels at our feet and begs for forgiveness, pays the debt that they owe, I will not offer forgiveness. See, we're convinced that to forgive someone, to forgive someone is to do them a favor. But if everyone around us understood what they had done, they would understand that they do not for- deserve such forgiveness. However, as we look at God's Word this morning, I want us to see that nothing characterizes the new nature of a believer as forgiveness. It's one of the things that should set us apart. So if you've got your scripture with you this morning, turn to Matthew chapter 18, where we'll be looking at verses 21 through 35 as we discover that great mercy demands great mercy. But as we get things started this morning, we need to set the passage up, and we need to understand the setting in which Jesus is giving this parable. Jesus is nearing the cross, and he begins to speak in parables to his followers, and he is speaking to them about the kingdom of heaven, and primarily he is speaking to them about how his followers, how this group, should conduct themselves and live their lives as part of the household of God, so that when he is gone, they will know how To go about living, he begins the chapter by assuring them that to be great in the kingdom of heaven is to humble oneself as a child. And throughout this discourse, we find that Christ's followers are referred to as children whom God will go to great lengths to protect. Knowing that as children we will continually stumble and fall, Jesus speaks of the importance of how to go about restoring a brother or sister who sins against us. And he does that in verses 15 through 20. And it's upon that teaching of how we go about restoring a brother who has sinned against us that leads us to our text for today. And in our text today, we're going to find three aspects of forgiveness. And the first aspect is this. We find the question of forgiveness. You see, he teaches about what it looks like to restore a brother who has sinned against us. And we find in verses 21 and 22 that Peter comes to him and says, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times. And Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but seventy-seven times." Now, as Jesus spoke about restoring a brother, Peter comes to him with a question, much like Peter does often, and he knows and he understands the nature of men and how they're in need of continual forgiveness, and he's wondering how many times one must forgive. In fact, Peter may have someone in mind who has sinned against him, and so he comes with the question. And he's asking Jesus, you know, Jesus, you're talking about restoring a brother who has sinned against me, but where do I draw the line? How far is enough? Is it seven times? You see, Peter's probably thinking of himself really good at this time and thinking, man, I've just laid out a question and I've given an answer. And Jesus is probably going to think, man, this guy's really compassionate. Because he offers seven times. The rabbinical teaching said that you had to forgive someone three times, and on the fourth time, you no longer had to forgive them. So Peter says, hey, I'll double that and throw one in for good measure, right? So he's probably standing tall, chest stuck out, thinking Jesus is going to be impressed. But Jesus answers and says, not seven times, but 77, or some of your scripture says seven times 70. The distinction between 77 and 490 is really a mute point. It really doesn't matter. What Jesus is saying is that when it comes to forgiveness, that it is is without limits. It is to be unlimited. It is not to be measured. We should continually forgive those who sin against us. We know as believers that we are called to love one another. And we know that in Corinthians, we find that as that love is fleshed out, we know that love keeps no record of wrongs. And so Jesus is saying, look, your forgiveness keeps no record of the wrong. You walk in forgiveness all the time. And so he's taking that opportunity to share how we are to live and how we are to forgive. And he speaks about forgiveness. I mean, keeping no record of wrongs. Can you imagine even the 77 times? walking around, someone fails you, they hurt you, yep, that's number 37, in the pocket. You go a couple of months, Yep, that's 42. You just can't do it. And if you did get to 77, by the time you have forgiven them 77 times, you have cultivated a heart of forgiveness in your life that you just get, back, you get past it, whether it be 77 or 490. So Jesus takes the question, Of how much, Jesus? Where's the line? And he takes the opportunity to teach us about forgiveness. And he gives us a story or a parable about forgiveness. And there we even find the basis of forgiveness. So this parable, an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. Here we find the second aspect of forgiveness. And it's the story of forgiveness. Or it's the example, it's the parable, it's the teaching that he gives. And as he lays this teaching out, we're going to see six details that flow out of the text that will help us to know how we take and apply this to our own lives. And the first detail is this, that there was an unpayable debt. An unpayable debt. In verses 23 through 25, the text says, through 24, Therefore, the kingdom of heaven... May be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him ten thousand talents. So here we get the picture. There's a king and there's servants, and the king has decided to settle his accounts. He has men who work for him who are his servants. No doubt, as a king, he has governors of provinces, he has the satraps, he has all of these people who work for him, and he is probably settling the accounts. He's calling them in to receive the revenue that is coming from his outlying provinces. So he calls one certain servant in, and it is obvious that this man has been skimming from the master because he owes such a great debt of 10,000 talents, and he is unable to pay. Now, the talent was the highest form of currency in this day and age. And this is 10,000 talents. And if we brought that into modern times and looked at it as the currency of our day, this would be several millions of dollars, if not even a trillion dollars in cash. It's an enormous debt, something that the servant would never be able to pay, not in his lifetime or lifetimes to come. He just didn't have anything in him to be able to repay the king. And so we find that in verse 25 and 26, the king has a plan for judgment, and it leads us to the next detail because in this we will see that there's an unmerited plea. In verses 25 and 26, it says, And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. This man had embezzled his master's money. He had no means to ever repay the debt that he owed. He had nothing to offer. He was surely deserving of every punishment and everything that could be laid against him that his master would give. He surely deserved it. Since he was not able to pay, the king decided to recoup what he could out of the situation. And so he decides that he's going to sell this servant and his family into slavery, something that would have been common for that day. I mean, what he's thinking is, hey, you know, it's not a good situation, but I'll cut my losses, I'll sell him and his family, get what I can in return for them, and just settle, just settle when the servant heard the king's verdict, he falls to his knees and he implores him. He begs him to have patience with him and asks him and, and says, please be patient. I'll repay everything that I owe. Listen, the plea was unmerited because this guy had nothing to give in return. There was nothing that he would be able to offer that would be, ever be able to repay the debt that was owed. And so what does he do? He falls before the king and he kneels before him, imploring him and begging him to be patient. And in that moment, something unexpected happens. The unmerited plea leads to verse 27 where we see an unexpected pardon. An unexpected pardon. You see, it says, Out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. Listen, the servant's case was helpless, except for one thing, for one thing. The king was a man of great compassion. And in the text, we see that the king was so moved with compassion that he took pity on the man, canceling his debt, forgiving him his debt, and releasing him to go free. A man who had embezzled his master's money, no means to repay, nothing to offer, deserving of punishment. His master has compassion on him, cancels the debt, releases him, and lets him go free. Now we would think, wow, what a story. What a story of great mercy and such an act of compassion would surely Change this man and his life. Surely it would impact the way that he will go about living his life in the days to come. However, something strange is on the horizon. For as we continue the story, we find an unbelievable encounter. An unbelievable encounter happens as the man leaves the presence of the king. In verses 28 through 30, it says, So when the same servant went out Now, the same servant that had just received such amazing grace and great mercy goes out and almost immediately finds a fellow servant who owes him a hundred denarii, just a few months' wages, something that could easily be paid back if there were patience and forgiveness. Listen, this is like peanuts to what the first servant owed the king. It's next to nothing. And this servant had just received all of this mercy, and now he finds someone that owes him, and he begins to physically assault him, demanding that he pay back everything that he owes. This is a despicable act in light of the disparity of the debt that was owed. The story here looks very familiar as this fellow servant falls to his knees begging for mercy with almost the exact words that the first servant used, saying, Have patience with me, and I will repay you. Just as the sums that are owed sharply contrasted with each other, so also the first servant's response proves to be entirely different than the king's compassionate generosity. The first servant hardens his heart and refuses to give forgiveness. And he makes a conscious choice to harden his heart against his fellow servant. He is unwilling to walk in forgiveness and to offer forgiveness to his fellow servant. This encounter led to a very unsettling report it led to an unsettling report because the fellow servants that were with him saw all that had taken place, and they were greatly distressed. And they went and they reported to their master all that had taken place. Listen, knowing the great debt that had been forgiven, they had seen it. No doubt these fellow servants had come in at the king's request and given him the revenue that he was due. But they saw one of their fellow servants who owed a great, great debt, one that was unpayable. But they saw the mercy and the compassion of their master. And when they saw this servant go out then and physically assault someone who owed him so little, they were greatly distressed and troubled in heart to witness the unforgiveness of the first servant. They were so troubled that they came to the master telling him everything that they had witnessed. And Listen, it brings up a great point as, as we live in, in community together that as believers, uh, we should be grieved when a fellow believer is unforgiving to a brother or sister in Christ because his hardness of heart causes much destruction and discord within the body. But even greater, it grieves the Lord himself. And just like these servants who went to the master and gave a report, it should remind us that when we see this, that we should go and petition our Heavenly Father to move in that situation. And that's what these slaves and servants do. They went to their master with expectations that proper action would be taken against the unforgiving servant. And as we can expect in the story, after being so compassionate and forgiving, the report came to him, and he was angry. And in his anger, he summoned that first servant to himself. And in that, we find the last detail, the fate of the unforgiving. The fate of the unforgiving. It says, Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all the debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers, and some of your text says, to the torturers, until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you, if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Listen, how could a servant accept his master's mercy for such an unpayable debt and then not forgive someone for such a small offense? The king expected that the servant would have the same mercy to those who were indebted to him as the mercy that he had received. However, because of the hardness of, of an unforgiving heart, his master is angry and hands him over to the jailers that he should repay all that was owed to him well as we think about the story we think about the debt that had already been forgiven the king had already forgiven and canceled the debt and allowed him to go free so The amount was also so great if the king was putting that back on his head and now sending him to prison, the king would never get anything in return because he would be rotting in a prison with no way to make income to pay the debt that was impossible to pay anyway. So what is the king looking for when he sends him to the jailers, when he sends him to the torturers? He is wanting him to experience the consequences of his actions until he has a change of heart. Until he forgives the offending brother as he had been forgiven. He wants him to understand that great mercy demands great mercy. The Lord was turning him over to himself, basically, to experience the consequences. And even as we think about David in Psalms, calling out to God and speaking about how he is wasting away, how he is sick on his bed, how he cries through the night, we think about the weight of sin on an individual and God leading leading us and turning us over to the consequences of our sin so that we will come to our senses and return. God is doing the same with this man so that he can have the same mercy. But Jesus concludes the parable, and we can look back at those last two verses as we've looked at the story, as we've looked at the parable and the example, and in that we find the third aspect of forgiveness that comes from this text, and that is the basis of forgiveness. And the basis of forgiveness is twofold. It's twofold, but it comes from verses 33 through 35. 35. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you, so also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Listen, the forgiveness and the basis for forgiveness is twofold. And the first basis that makes forgiveness possible in our lives as brothers and sisters in Christ is an unexpected pardon. Just as the first servant experienced the pardon of the king, we too have experienced an unexpected pardon in our life. Because listen, as sinners, we owe a debt that we can never repay. And the wages of sin is death. There is nothing that we can do to save ourselves from the judgment that awaits us but God. Our king is a loving and merciful king who comes to us with an unexpected pardon. Romans 5, 8. But God demonstrates his love to us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Ephesians chapter uh, chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses and sin, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 and 14, and you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Listen, it is because of this unexpected pardon that we in turn can extend forgiveness to our brothers and sisters who sin against us. A forgiveness that is limitless because love keeps no record of wrongs. Scripture tells us over and over again, that we are to offer forgiveness because we have received forgiveness from our God and our King. So we offer forgiveness of those who sin against us. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Colossians chapter 3, verse 13. Bearing with one another... And if anyone has complained against one another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, you also must forgive, must forgive. Listen, at Calvary, we lost our right not to forgive. Because at Calvary, we experience the greatest mercy and grace that comes through the forgiveness, that comes through Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. We extend and offer forgiveness first because of the unexpected pardon in our own life. But the second basis of forgiveness and the thing that makes it possible in our lives with one another is a transformed heart. A transformed heart. Forgiveness is to be from the heart. And listen, as followers of Jesus Christ, our obligation is to forgive, and that obligation is to be unlimited, unconditional. It is not governed by mathematics of how many times we count it up, but it is governed by a disposition that comes through a relationship with our Savior, Jesus Christ. He is the one that makes it possible. God, speaking through the prophet Ezekiel, says this. He says, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. The apostle Paul puts it this way in 2 Corinthians five seventeen, where he says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Listen, our ability to forgive is not natural, and it comes only through a heart that is transformed by the Spirit of God. Because we have been made new, we now walk in a manner that is pleasing to our Heavenly Father. And walking in forgiveness is one of the things that pleases His heart. Walking in forgiveness is one of the surest signs that someone has seen themselves as a sinner before a righteous and holy God and then come to know the joy of his forgiveness and experience the new life that comes through Jesus Christ. One who is unmerciful, one who is unforgiving, shows that he has never known what it is to receive the mercy of God. Do you hear what I'm saying? It's impossible to harbor unforgiveness if we've truly experienced a transformed heart of Jesus Christ. We reveal the condition of our hearts by the way that we treat one another. And forgiveness is truly a matter of such a heart. So what's our takeaway? What's our takeaway from the parable of the unforgiving servant? There's some things that I want you to leave with today. There's some things that we can take away. And the first is this, is that forgiveness is not natural to us, but it is characteristic of our new nature. That's what we just found. So what do we do? We die to ourselves daily and we live to the Spirit of God so that we put away the natural man and we live by the nature of Jesus Christ within us that we can walk in a forgiving spirit with one another second thing that we do as Christians we need to forgive because we ourselves need forgiveness there's none of us sitting in this room who is perfect in fact there's only one who ever walked on water and we ain't him right we're going to mess up We are going to hurt one another. We're going to stumble. We're going to fall. We're going to let each other down. And just as we want forgiveness extended to us, we need to be willing to extend it. Listen, it goes to number three. It's a give-and-take relationship in this life. We have to give forgiveness because we, in turn, are expecting it back. And so we walk in love in this way as we're forgiving of one another. Fourthly this, only forgiveness can break down the barriers that sin can continually and inevitably erects between people, even God's people. Listen, an unforgiving heart, a hard heart toward one another, pride, jealousy, all these things begin to build up a wall in our relationships. And before long, we are completely cut off from one another. But forgiveness breaks down the barrier. It breaks down the wall that we can walk together in Christ-like love. Fifthly, Christians are at their best when they're forgiving. Listen, this is what the world needs to see. This is what the world needs to see. They need to see us at our best, walking in love and compassion and forgiveness with each other. Sixth, Christians are to be marked as forgiving people because they have been forgiven as no other. Listen, a hurting world is watching, and they need to see Christians who can walk together in godly love and forgiveness. And one of the things that troubles my heart so much as we go through these troubling times is the attacks that I see even among believers on social media platforms. Because we find ourselves thinking differently, so we're going to let our different ways of thought rise up between us. And we cannot walk in Christ-like love in that way, but we've got to walk with a forgiving spirit. Why? Because great mercy demands great mercy. It demands it. So as we close our time today, I know that many people listening here in this room and many people who are watching online are struggling with what they know to be true about forgiveness. And you're saying in your mind, Jim, you just don't understand. You don't know what they've done. You don't know the pain that I've experienced because of them, and you don't know the debt that they owe. My friend, I understand your pain, but I want to remind you of the great debt that was forgiven you when Jesus took your place on the cross. See, so often we're confused, and we think that when it comes to to forgiveness, we think that by forgiving someone that we're actually doing them a favor that if we really want to be nice, then I'll go forgive that person and just kind of let them off the hook. But listen, the truth is this, is that unforgiveness is a prison that has the tendency to hold us captive throughout our lives. In fact, it has been said that the world's worst prison is the prison of an unforgiving heart. So today, I want us to just take practical steps in granting forgiveness to those who have brought about such pain and hurt. In our lives. Sometimes many times over. I want us to end. By giving those. That are here today. The opportunity to offer forgiveness. And release the person of the debt. That they forgive you. Why? Not because they merit it. Not because they're deserving. But because of all. That Christ has done for you. We do not have the right. To hold on to unforgiveness and if we do it will destroy our lives listen forgiving them is for you it's not just for them it's for you so if you would if you're here today and you have been harboring thoughts of unforgiveness if you're holding a grudge against that brother or sister in Christ or even a family member or a friend you have the opportunity this morning to let it go. To release them and to cancel that debt by calling that person's name to mind and even calling the circumstances in which they've caused you pain and just saying, God, here they are. I release them. I forgive them. So if you would, would you join me in a word of prayer? Heavenly Father, you see our hearts this morning and Father, for many of us, for some of us, you see our pain. Lord, you see the things in our past that bind us and hold us captive in our present day. You see marriages that are struggling and are crumbling because of unforgiveness, maybe not between spouses, but unforgiveness that goes way back into a person's past. Lord Jesus, give us the grace today to forgive and to simply cancel the debt. Father, we may have called up a name, we may have called up a circumstance, and if that is our case, may we know and understand that at Calvary I lost my right not to forgive. And in thanking you for, for forgiving all my sin, Father, I pray that you would forgive me for harboring anger in my heart and Today, I release this person for this sin against me. I am choosing to forgive them of the hurt and the pain. They don't owe me anymore. The debt has been canceled. So, Father, please allow the painful memories to become reminders of your grace and your forgiveness of your great love. And, Father, may they be healing in my life. Father, we thank you for sending your son to pay a debt that we could never repay. So would you give us grace to show that kind of mercy and love to those around us? And in the process, would you heal us of our past and give us the courage and the strength and the capacity to move forward? In Jesus' name, amen.